Speaking of language listeners, guess what? It's our 100th episode. Thanks for tuning in each week. Here's to the next 100. What we tried to do was to build a scaffold for people to move on from. So we don't see this as the end of a discussion or a culminating experience. We see it as an invitation into an ongoing, I would suggest a lifelong process of self-reflection. There's enormous attention being given over to thinking deeply about social identity, inclusion, equity, social justice, and, and teaching and learning. You're listening to Speaking of Language, a podcast recorded at the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. Each week, we explore a topic related to language pedagogy and second language acquisition. This week on Speaking of Language. We dive into teaching and learning in the Diverse Classroom, a massive open online course developed by Cornell's Center for Teaching Innovation. Two of its creators, Melina Avanchakova and Matt Wallet, as well as contributing faculty member Julia Frizo, discuss the importance of incorporating diversity concepts into the teaching of any subject matter. They also provide suggestions for how you can develop these skills in your own teaching, learning, and life. Welcome to a new episode of Speaking of Language. I'm Angelica Kramer, the director of the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. And I'm Sam Lupowitz, the LRC's media manager. Today, we are excited to welcome three of our colleagues, Melina Ivanchikova and Matt Wallet from the Center for Teaching Innovation, and Julia Frizo, senior research associate in plant biology. They were involved in the creation of an engaging online course titled Teaching and Learning in the Diverse Classroom. Welcome to Speaking of Language, Melina, Matt, and Julia. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Delighted to be here with everybody. Hi, everyone. Before we talk about this wonderful course and learning community about this very important topic, can you please each briefly introduce yourself? What's your background and what has your path with languages been? Matt, why don't you get started? Um, sure, I'd be glad to start. Um, so um, my name is, uh, there's a story in my name, as Melina would often tell us. Um, my uh, early experiences uh, often were uh, language-based. Um, my native, my, my first language is English, but I lived in Spain as a child, and so my first education experience was actually all in Spanish. Um, and then we, uh, my family moved back to the States for a while, and then we moved abroad again. And so high school was in Germany. Um, and uh, while I was a student, I studied uh, French because that's my family heritage, and also Latin uh, just because I thought it might be really useful. So I'm at a stage in my life now where I have a really wonderful accent and a mastery of no specific language. <laughs> so I feel like I'm a really good tourist, and that's about it. <laughs> and what do you do at Cornell Map? I'm the executive, uh, actually the founding executive director of the Center for Teaching Innovation. And our um, overarching goal is to provide support for faculty to create an, a, a climate and an environment of excellence in teaching and learning. And your team certainly has gone above and beyond um, throughout spring semester 2020 and in the summer to prepare everybody for um excellence in online teaching. So a big, big, big shout out to you and your colleagues at this point. Thanks for all the work that you've been doing. Thank you. Um, Melina, what about you? What's your story? Well, hello, everyone. Um, I'm the Associate Director for Inclusive Teaching at the Center for Teaching Innovation. And my language history, I have um, 
near native fluency in Spanish. My mom is Argentinian and I grew up bilingual and bicultural, moving between both continents um, after my parents got divorced. And because of this, I think I just had a curiosity for languages and language learning. So as an undergrad, I was a major in Russian and I also studied American Sign Language. I sort of dabbled in, um, I got curious about the Basque language and Portuguese and Italian at different points, but never quite um, have mastered any of those, mm-hmm. but just retained sort of a few words here and there. Yeah, love, have always loved uh, listening to different languages, even if I don't understand them and appreciate the cross-cultural perspectives that come from inhabiting a language fully. Mm-hmm. Great. Julia, what about you? So I was born and raised in Italy where I lived my first uh, 20 plus year uh, of my life. And then during my PhD, I moved uh, to various places. Uh, so first London in the UK. I also live in Dublin in Ireland, then in San Francisco, in Stockholm in Sweden, where my first child was born, uh, in Berlin during a sabbatical year, and finally in Ithaca for the last 20 years where my second child was born. In terms of languages, so I, uh, my native language is obviously Italian, and um, I also studied Latin for eight years in school. Uh, so I've been exposed to, I guess, different shades of English and uh, Swedish, German, Dutch, since my husband also uh, grew up in the Netherlands. And um, so it's kind of interesting also from a cultural perspective, every member of my family is really born in a different country, which makes us a little different from the average family. I would say, you know, the best way to learn language is really to immerse yourself in the culture. And that's what uh, I tell also my students, just go abroad and live in a different culture for a, a period of months. Uh, it, it's so enriching at so many levels. Yeah. Personal level. Julia, what's your role at Cornell? Yeah, so I um, have been here at Cornell for the last 20 years. So I do research. I'm a senior research associate in the field of plant biology and biochemistry. And I also teach, uh, uh, I'm a senior lecturer, so I teach uh, uh, different classes uh, uh, in the theme of plant and health. Um, I teach uh, two uh, in-person classes and also an online class in the winter summer semester. And I'm just launching next month's um, eCornell class on, on the theme of plant, uh, medicinal plant and health. Very cool. Well, so this course that the three of you are involved in is called Teaching and Learning in the Diverse Classroom. Matt, maybe you can tell us uh, what is this course and how did it come about? Sure. I'd um, be glad to answer that question, Sam. Teaching and Learning in the Diverse Classroom is a, a four-week self-paced online course literally for anyone with teaching responsibilities in the Cornell community. So we have uh, faculty, we have uh, long-term lecturers, we've got graduate students, postdocs, and some um, staff members as well who've uh, taken the course even already. It's explicitly built for people at any point of entry around the field of diversity, equity, and social justice in teaching and learning. So there's no expectation that people have prior, a certain level of prior experience or much less expertise. And uh, the genesis of the course really came about 
um, as we were trying to look at the resources that we offer for our instructors, who are often absolute experts in their specialization, but um, may have had uh, fewer invitations to uh, be trained pedagogically and even fewer opportunities to think about issues of, of um, social identity, um, inclusion, and belongingness in the classroom. And so we really wanted this as an opportunity on campus to uh, to enhance the climate for discussions around teaching and learning and some really tough issues. A lot of faculty have the heart, they have the willingness, they just don't have, uh, they don't feel confident and they don't feel like they have the skills. And so in this course, what we wanted to do was provide a sort of some common readings, some common experiences, some common definitions, and some um, strategies that we think are really effective across disciplines. Um, so the course is by its nature interdisciplinary and it's very anchored to peer-to-peer -peer discussions. It's also to be quite honest, it's online and it's relatively asynchronous, although it's within a, a defined space of time, a temporal span of time. You can really drop in and drop out of the course as your schedule allows. And this was a tip of the hat to the fact that our community is just crazy busy. Um, and so the idea of being able to get faculty, staff, grad students, and postdocs all in a classroom on a specific date at a specific time is just out the window. What we tried to do was to build a, a, a scaffold for people to move on from. So we don't see this as the the end of a discussion or a culminating experience. We see it as an invitation into an ongoing, I would suggest, a lifelong uh process of self-reflection and learning. And um, it just happens to be that we're in this incredibly historical moment of Black Lives Matter. And also with COVID-19, there's enormous attention um, and, and time being given over to thinking deeply about social identity, inclusion, equity, social justice, and, and teaching and learning. And our goal is to provide uh, to facilitate that process so that people gain confidence and um, and also knowledge that, um, you know, through absolute, absolutely no fault of their own, uh, they may have missed in their training. It just may not have been included. Terrific. So, Melina, how do you select materials and curate faculty and student testimonials for this? <laughs> oh, that's a great question. The, the process of development of, of the course was fairly extensive. Um, it was the first time that I was involved in a project of this scale and magnitude, and it was absolutely a delightful process to seek out um, and interview uh, colleagues across campus, both students, faculty, and staff uh, voices. We, we sought out a diversity of representation, diversity of field representation, disciplinary perspectives, um, and uh, networked with many offices around campus, both to review the course, inform its development, and just feel us uh, to be part of a community, which is how we reached out to Julia. Um, maybe it's too soon to tell this story, but <laughs> uh, she, uh, I think we had been in a um, in the Cornell International Education Network meeting one day, and I heard her tell a story about her teaching, or we walked away from the meeting together, and she was telling me some of her teaching stories. And I just filed it away, remembered it, and then as the course came into development, 
um, those casual stories that we tell about our teaching, we were looking for everyday experiences, not necessarily superstars um, about who have done everything excellent, but just reflections about who we are as educators. The, the whole course is anchored through a lens of, you know, this idea that listening to other people's stories can help move hearts and minds and help t- help you learn about perspectives and ways of being in the world that are different from, from your own. So we wanted to give people a chance to tell those stories um, as well as to listen to them. And so something really magical happened in that development process, which is that group of people that became our video interlocutors became part of our teaching and learning in the diverse classroom community. Um, We ended up having, you know, every, for every video uh, clip that you get to see in the course, the videos are in anywhere from, you know, four to 10 minutes long. Um, But each individual was an hour long (laughs) conversation in the studio. Um, And so uh, though all of those, I sometimes just, wish we could have had all of those stories. (laughs) Of course, you can't do that with media production. You have to synthesize a little bit for others. But they were really rich stories. People really opened up and gave generously of their time and experiences. And and, and I just think that that's one key way that we learn uh, about difference. And so so I'm I'm so grateful to that. And this is actually something um, Julia's video clip definitely stood out to me. Um, because there was this distinct connection between teaching um, subject matter and context and also bringing in language. So, Julia, in one of these video clips, you talked about your class on medicinal plants and the connection to the Cayuga Nation territory that Cornell finds itself on. Can you talk a little bit about what you what you did, how you integrated this this physical context where we are located and how all of this came about? Yeah, sure. Um, So it's uh, interesting. So one of the classes, as you said, that I teach is medical, um, medical ethnobotany, which is really the study of how plants have been used in traditional medicine as part of native culture and tradition around the world. So the first year I was offering this course, one of my students in the midterm evaluation suggested that I start a course acknowledging that Cornell is situated within the original homelands of the Cayuga Nation. And since it would be so relevant and in line with the overall philosophy of the class. And I thought that was a fantastic idea. And um, so whichever course I teach right now, I always start with acknowledging the Cayuga Nation. But then it made me also thinking, you know, okay, it's good to acknowledge. I acknowledge is the first step, but why not bring in the Cayuga Nation to the classroom? And so I started looking for a way or opportunity to honor that wish. And I wrote um, an Engage Opportunity Grant uh, from Engage Cornell, connecting Cornell students to the Cayuga Nation. The idea was to have the Cayuga Nation chief, Sam George, come into the classroom and offer him a stipend to establish this kind of a relationship with the students. And so Chief Sam George visited, um, he came to the classroom, right? And he had, a, I believe, a very big impact on my students. In a way, he's not a botanist or a healer or, or a herbalist, but so what he talked about, he didn't talk about plants, but he uh, uh, talked about his personal journey. 
uh, as a Native American and um, about the fact that uh, there were several steps he needed to overcome growing up and he spent most of his life being angry. Uh, which, by the way, many of these stuff uh, uh, are very are common to every, all of us living in a country different from our native. And so in some way we can all relate to, I think, as, um, as an outsider. And uh, I'd say if I can uh, break down into, let's say, bullet point his talk, I think it was very interesting because he started by talking about the shame of being different that, uh, and, and the people, uh, you know, have. And the anger because these people were really pushed away from their own territory, forced it to speak another language. And he was, he's now in uh, late, uh, you know, mid-year of his life, I would say. And he's just right now starting to learn the Native American language because he was never, you know, exposed. And um, and then this search for identity and, and and I would say coming to term with the fact that it's okay to have a dual or multiple identity, accept and the growing with cultural value which are different uh, from the norm, should actually not be a reason of shame but maybe a gift to share with others. And um, so in that way, I thought this his speech was a very, very inspirational for all of us uh, uh, because you really talk about the ethno part of my course, I would say this uh, native uh, value and so on. And in fact, uh, um, I, I would say one of my goals as a teacher is really that my students acquire this awareness of different cultural practice value and so on. And that's why I really uh, enjoy taking the course that Melina brought together because it really explore all these different uh, issues. Yeah. Very cool. So then maybe you can tell us how your participation in the diversity inclusion course has shaped your teaching practices outside of it. The way it shaped it, I think it, it helped uh, develop those skills and tools which I was already trying to implement in the classroom, but kind of gave me more confidence and validating some of idea. Um, I really enjoy the exchange of uh, experience among faculties and the various videos that were presented with real life experience and, and student testimonials and so on. And um, so in shape, in terms of shaping my teaching practice, one strategy is, uh, that is discussed online uh, uh, that uh, really resonate with me is the concept of uh, reducing anonymity in the classroom. And uh, it has been proven over and over that students are more engaged and eager to participate when they feel connected. Mm. And so during the semester, we learn about, in my classes, we learn about um, uh, the properties of medicinal plants, uh, but also we discuss the issue of identity, ethnicity, uh, property rights, preservation of culture, and so on. So um, an example uh, that I use now, for example, in all my courses uh, to try to foster that sense of community in the classroom is to always start with the icebreaker. And I would use different icebreakers. 
and um, just to get to know each other, basically. Um, and uh, this is a fantastic opportunity. It's actually a lot of fun. Uh, you have to expose yourself as a faculty. You know, I share my personal thing, my hobbies or whatever. And then I ask them to share, you know, what they're interested, why they come to my classroom and, uh, and all kind of whatever uh, they feel confident to share with the rest of the classroom. And it's amazing what, what happened, you know, it's just, um there is this um kind of chemistry that start all of a sudden and people feel much more entitled even now that I'm teaching via zoom people you know they switch up the microphone and and chip in and and, and make their contribution so and I would say the course really reinforced this because I always thought it's maybe a little bit too childish to, you know, do that or to not very professional or whatever, not very scientific, but it's actually uh, very rewarding. Yeah. One thing that really stood out to me as I was working through the course um, was just rethinking presence in the classroom and in our day-to-day -day interactions yeah. Um, and also making sure that we think about not only our own identity, but the identity of our students and just being yeah. very mindful of that and integrating students in that way, too. Matt, what feedback have you received from colleagues across campus who have taken this course and participated in the learning communities associated with it? So actually, the the uh, the feedback from faculty across campus about the TLDC course has been enormously positive. And um, in fact, so positive that we've rolled it out on edX as a MOOC to try to distribute it even uh, further, uh, make it available to colleagues across the campus. But I want to go back to Gilead's wonderful points, because in many respects, this was the whole purpose of, of the drive to create the course, which is to help faculty think through not just the intellectual or the cognitive aspect of learning, which is your disciplinary text, if you will, but also to think about the affective and the kinesthetic parts of that go into learning. And so um, in higher education and academia, particularly, you know, in, in a research university, we tend to overprivilege the, the cognitive and the intellectual, and we think we need to get straight to business, business being, you know, the, the core content of the course. But um, the our Teaching and Learning in the Diverse Classroom course is very deliberately designed around theories of change, especially evidence and best practices in course design and research on how people learn. Um, and so often what we've found is that when introduced to these evidence-based or evidence-driven strategies, and faculty have, our instructors have a chance to just try them out in the class, and you see the enormously positive impact it has to um, begin with a little bit of social climate warming, you know, get people to know each other's names, get, you know, get, uh, get them to talk a little bit about their interest in the topic. And um, it can um, seem like that's not uh, core content, but in fact, it's essential to creating an environment for, for learning. And so um, what we've done, I think, in a lot of ways is given people permission to do the things that come naturally, you know, it's a human endeavor, um, but we've sort of said, this is good, this is this is really essential, and here's all the research um, that backs that up. And so the course is really, I, I want to be clear that it's anchored to theories of change, and it's also anchored to theories of learning. Although we don't 
really stress that. It's just what undergirds the whole thing. Um, so our, our hope is that um, the other thing that we do is by including so many stories, both of undergraduates and graduate students and faculty members, is that we provide lots of models for excellence in the classroom. There's no one way to be a fantastic teacher. It's really important that people be authentic and they be genuine and they be present. Um, as Sam, you were saying, that whole issue of presence in the classroom, you bring your whole self. And part of why we love the stories is it's impossible to watch a video and not get a sense of the whole person. Um, it's, it's, pretty, um, it's pretty amazing. So I'm, I'm just going to say a little bit about the MOOC because one of our goals at Cornell was to create a resource that could be of use um, and have utility to uh, colleges and universities across the, across the United States. And so we deliberately wanted to create a, a, a guide that goes with the course so that other schools and universities at PrEPS um, have the um, aspiration to convene a learning community or to have these discussions around teaching and learning, but don't um, have the staffing or the the, the uh, internal resources to do it, can just take the course and apply it in a local um, in, um, environment and tailor it in some really nice ways. So Melina and I spent actually a quite a bit of time with also, I want to do a shout out to our other colleagues in the CTI. This was an all hands on deck project. We had lots of great contributions um, from, um, um, from a whole range of folks, but we built a facilitator's guide so that um, other schools and Colleges can pick the course up and then tailor it to um, to their own environment, their own legacy, their own history, um, the, the the topics that are most important to them um, in this moment, um, but um, not have to start from scratch. So that was ultimately that was I, I think our goal is what is is continues to be to do something that benefits the larger the common good um, as well as. Um, the Cornell community. The MOOC, which stands for Massive Open Online Course, um, is available for a global audience. And so right now, for example, the course is uh, launching again October 1st. Um, the MOOC version, that public version, is the five-week version of the course. And more than half of the people who are enrolled in the course are from countries that are not the United States. Um, so it's a really interesting opportunity for educators across the world to connect with each other and have some discussions about about what teaching and learning looks like in their own contexts. And um, that has been incredibly interesting and exciting just to see almost in a sense how much people actually have in common in the teaching and learning world in terms of thinking about trying to make um, learning more meaningful and effective for, for students. Um, so that's one thing. And then the other thing I wanted to share was that you know, we try in all of the work that we do through the center that um, any kind of program, we're trying to model effective uses of these practices as we go along. So we, we try to provide opportunities for breaking the ice and creating a sense of community with students. We provide opportunities for the participants to give us feedback about the course as well. And this informs our iterative versions as we go along, because we know, especially especially around diversity, you know, things have changed over the course of my own lifetime. I've seen the way that we talk about certain groups of people, the way that people need to struggle to, you know, achieve some recognition for, for who they are. Uh, Julia's story of um, Sam, Chief Sam George's 
own struggles with with shame and sort of coming into being having pride in his, his own identity. L- lots of other groups are experiencing this as well. And so to make room for that kind of change and that kind of dialogue, we always remain open to receiving feedback and encouraging people to bring their full selves to the dialogue. Occasionally we'll we'll have a participant who's <laughs> who someone else recommended that they go there and they might not necessarily know why they have ended up there. And so my answer to those folks is be present, be yourself, share what you know. Uh, you know, who are you in relation to this this community or the community where the communities where you belong our cornell course really allows us i think to deepen and enrich our connection to our cornell community which is one reason why i encourage cornell folks to take the cornell version because we're all in this together many of us are here you know for the duration of our careers you know our graduate students and, and postdocs are a little bit of a different participant population of course but Many of us here are committed to improving the, the climate for inclusion and belongingness. And so the more the theory part of that theory of change ideas is, is bu- building collective understanding. And um, and I'm thinking, you know, along those lines, maybe I would choose to be a dandelion. <laughs> because... <laughs> That's a very popular, actually. I'm not surprised. It's a humble flower. Yeah. It, it, makes, it has like secret medicinal properties that so make it really powerful. <laughs> Um, and it colonizes um, territories with beauty and delicacy. I mean, it just sort of spreads. Maybe that's not necessarily the, the metaphor I'm going for. Um, but I do I do have trouble, you know, um, getting rid of any dandelions in my in my own surroundings. I love your um, allusion to what some people would call a weed, you know, and other people would call yeah. a flower. Oh, and that's so, another thing I teach. Yeah. There is no such thing as no a weed. Every yeah. plant is a plant and has been going through millions of years of evolution. And that's right. when we lose it with all this uh, pollution and global warming and whatever is happening, you know, to our planet is lost forever. And with that, it's yeah. millions of years. So one of the things that we try to do in the course um, is to every module is chock a block full of very practical strategies. So we model it and then we give people what we call peel away. So try this, try this in your classroom. Here's an here's a get acquainted exercise. You know, here's a here's a way to get students talking to each other. Um, so that um, what we're really trying to do is, as Melina was um, talking about, is accelerate change to create a more inclusive environment. And part of that is just helping people uh, um, do what I think comes naturally, what I think they want to do. Um, the um, the other, I have to laugh because when Melaine and I pushed it out on edX, I wasn't, I, I couldn't figure out whether there'd be any international appeal for this course. You know, whether, I mean, we really couldn't figure out whether, you know, I was really worried that it was so specific to United States culture um, and to um, our approach to social justice, diversity, and inclusion issues. I wasn't; it wasn't clear to me that there would be salience um, internationally. But we've had a very warm response, um, and clearly, as as Melina, you were saying, um, people have found it a good use of their time. So that's been that's been pretty exciting. Excellent. Well, so where can folks go to find out more information about the course? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> you can go to uh, teaching at uh, .cornell.edu, and um, we have a whole webpage dedicated to um, 
the teaching and learning in the diverse classroom course. And there's also a link embedded in that that will take you out to the edX uh, option as well. But as Melina said, our goal is for the Cornell community members to, you know, if if at all possible, to take it um, on campus. I, I will say I, I was also not convinced the course would gain much traction on campus because people are so busy and there's so much competition for time. Um, but I think um, what's been incredibly gratifying, and maybe this goes back to your earlier question, Angelica, how well do we know, how do we know we're doing okay? We have this incredible upward trend line in registrations. Every semester we've had an increase in on-campus registrations. And of course we know word of mouth is everything in academic circles. If people um, you know, attend, they attend because they're choosing to do so. So that's been, um, it says, I think it says really wonderful things about our broader Cornell community, you know, that people really do want to engage with these issues. They, they want to um, create uh, inclusive learning environments and, and they do really want to sustain belongingness. Mm-hmm. So we invite everybody who's listening to check out this course, enroll, participate, and rethink their own teaching practices. So thanks again to all of you for this very important work that you have been doing and these resources that you are making available to the community at large. But before we sign off, we do want to ask each of you to share your favorite word in a language that you speak, love, are learning, or want to learn. What is that word? Melina, do you want to start? Sure. For some reason, I've always loved the word bigotes. It means... <laughs> in Spanish means both whiskers and mustache. But when, when I was a kid, I just, every time I thought this word, it would just make me giggle. So now, now it's just a, a funny memory of childhood of, you know, bigotes, hee hee. <laughs> nice. Julia, what about you? So this is a tough question for me. I have many favorite words in, in different languages, uh, but uh, I would say my absolute favorite is the Italian word tesoro which means treasure. And um, I use it to call my favorite people, like my family members and the dearest friends. But I also, uh, I, I love this word for many reasons. And one is a reminder that everybody has this little treasure inside. Uh, and uh, we are all given certain gifts in life, things that come easy to us. That's what I uh, keep telling my, my students and, and my sons, because in Italian we have a say, chi trova un amico trova un tesoro, which means who finds a friend, find a treasure. And so I remind my students, surround yourself by true treasure friends that can value your idea and support you along the way. So I I guess that's my favorite word. (laughs) Matt, what about you? Well, I'm going to go back to uh, my time in Germany, and particularly in this day and age when so many of us are working from home, and um, uh, you know it's so important to have a sense of of place and a, a, a that's welcoming. And the German word is gemütlich, um, and it's that sense of it's it's hard to translate. Um, you 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 will probably do a better job than I will, um, but it is that it's that sense of of warmth and uh, comfort and family and. Um, I think that that's, uh, for me, that seems to be what what's b- b- sort of the word that's most important to me right now. So Nice. 
Thanks for sharing those. Thanks so much for speaking of language with us, Julia, Melina, and Matt. Thank you. Thank Just you for having us. Yeah. Just a delight. Thank you. Next week, you'll hear from Kate Paisani. Dr. Paisani is the director for the Center for Advanced Research on Language Acquisition, or CARLA, at the University of Minnesota. She gave a talk as part of our monthly LRC speaker series on multiliteracies pedagogy and teacher professional development. The video of her talk can be found on our website at lrc.cornell.edu. And of course, you can listen to next week's episode online. Until then, auf Wiederhören! The Language Resource Center is located on the ground floor of Stimson Hall on Cornell's main campus in Ithaca, New York. Check us out on the web at lrc.cornell.edu or look for Cornell LRC on Facebook and Twitter. Speaking of Language is produced by Angelica Kramer and Sam Lupowitz. Recorded by Sam Lupowitz. Original music by Sam Lupowitz, Dan Gable, and Joe Gibson. Thanks also to the College of Arts and Sciences at Cornell University. As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Sciences or any other official entity of Cornell University. We thank our listeners, and do stay tuned for our next episode.